Welcome to GM Street. It has been a long hiatus, but we are back. Mike Lombardi is on the phone. He's in New Jersey. Lombardi, J.J. Reddick signed with the Philadelphia 76ers. How are you feeling? I'm alive. I mean, one year I could stomach it. I mean, we had to get to the minimum payroll anyway, $23 million overpay. But look, I'd rather rent. You know, I'd rather yeah. rent players than buy them. I, I, the last thing I wanted was a four-year, $18 million deal that would go on and on. So I give Colangelo applause for for uh, being able to, to make that deal. Made another one-year deal with Amari Johnson, so I thought that was good. And now all he has to do is dump your boy Okafor, and I think things will be moving right along. If you're wondering why we're starting a podcast talking about J.J. Redick when we're supposed to be talking about football, that's because it's the dog days of summer. There's not a lot going on, Lombardi. Yeah, We're always trying to find stuff that uh, will pique our interest or get us talking, but instead... You decided to let me know the exciting things that you're looking forward to uh, heading into the <laughs> NFL season. You sent me four things over. We're going to run through them today. The first one that came up, though. One second. Oh, yeah. We got the dogs in the background. This is even better. The actual dog days of summer. Yep. All right, Lombardi. Four big topics that we have for today. We're going to run through them all. The first one that is up that you are very excited for. I don't know. Maybe a little dark that you're excited for this. But you're excited to see where the Dallas Cowboys will be at their first bye week. You're saying, what happens if they're 2-3? and three? They're not looking like the same team from last year, the 14-win team. Uh, are we asking if Jason Garrett is uh, on the hot seat, possibly? What do you see for the Cowboys, and why is that exciting? Well, look, I mean, Jason Garrett's been a head coach for six years. He's 50 years old. He's going to be 51 next year. Mm-hmm. He should be in the prime of his head coaching career. Yep. Instead, you know, he's made two playoffs. I mean, he goes... 12 and 4 then he goes 13 and 3 last year and he loses at home to a bad Green Bay defense a bad Green bad. Bay team I mean he Aaron Rodgers you know just electrifies them with the throws and and I think that Jerry and Steven and I put it in my piece that'll be up later this week is I think there's they created some doubt and mm-hmm. that doubt is going to carry over cuz one thing we know about Jason Garrett he doesn't coach the offense yep. that's Scott Linehan don't coach the defense. That's Rob Marinelli. Rob Marinelli handles handles all the motivation as well. And special teams is Rich Bastati. So basically all he does is challenges. And last year he only had three challenges and he only won one of them. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't see Jason besides clapping and cheering players. Like, to me, losing to Green Bay was a, was a, was a revealing loss in this sense, Tate. Yeah, is it showed that his team wasn't ready to play and it couldn't play a different style that it had. It was the better team. If you would have given Belichick the page, uh, the Cowboys, or maybe even if you'd have switched McCarthy and at halftime and Garrett, do you think maybe McCarthy would have beaten them? Yeah. It and could. so I think what's going to happen is when you look at the beginning schedule, and there's some things that are going to happen here. Okay, Zeke Elliott could get suspended. Adam Schefter has been reporting that that's not over with yet. David Irving, a really good player, could get is suspended. He's going to miss four games. Yep. We don't even know what injuries are going to happen. They open up at they open up against at home with the Giants. They mm-hmm. go on the road to Arizona. They go on the road to Denver. I think it's Denver, Arizona. Then they come home and play the Rams, and then they got the Packers in a bye week. And I'm saying, Tate, look, say they're two and three. What do you think the conversation is going to be between Jerry and Steve? They're going to say. This is so the last time the Cowboys go thirteen and three, right? Guess what happens next year? They go three and thirteen. 
So it's Correct. it's the same thing. So it's either you have the eight and eight Cowboys, or you have the super impressive Cowboys, or you have the super depressing Cowboys. There's there seems to be right. no you know ten to twelve range where you the sweet spot of an NFL team. It seems it's going to be one extreme or the other. It's going to be middle of the pack. And obviously, if that's the case, and they're sitting there and they already had this bad loss in the playoffs, which you're saying is sticking with those guys. I mean, it, what happens to a Cowboys fan? You know, if you if that happens, if it's a fourteen win thing, and Jerry's still thinking can win now and fires uh, Jason Garrett. I mean, do you think people freak out in Dallas or they're just like, hey, this is what we do in Dallas. We're trying to win now. Well, I think from sitting on the beach this summer and, and researching things, I, I think what came to my mind, if I'm a Cowboy fan, yeah. I have real questions about Jason Garrett as a head coach. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be in the prime. He's had six years to be a head coach. He was an offensive guru that never really had a lot of rue in his goo. Yeah. You know, he was really never, you know, never this innovative offensive guy. Now, you know, he's benefited by the, you know, I went to Princeton, so I'm smart. You know, that mm-hmm. he's benefited by that. You know, I went to Hofstra, I'm not smart. Okay, so... That puts me in that category. But the reality here is, if I'm a Cowboy fan, I'm saying, look, that team last year was too good. It was peaking at the right time. This team might not be as good, and how's he going to be the head coach? And I think head coaches make a huge difference come playoff time, and Garrett has won one playoff game in his six-year career. And if I'm Jerry, I'm nervous. The guy that's always lurking, he's always around the corner, is Sean Payton. And the thing that most people, when they look at this Cowboys team, I mean, a lot of people want to talk about the offense. They want to talk about Dak. Is he going to keep it up after his rookie season? Is Zeke going to be the same guy? But the defense is another thing that you mentioned to me in passing is, you know, they lose seven starters on defense. They're going to rely on a, you know, a rookie, right? And Taco Charlton to come in and and try to make an impact. I mean, is it defensively? They were like third in sacks last year on defense. They made an impact and it wasn't just an offensive juggernaut. The whole team, the time of possession, all that sort of stuff played into it. And if they regress on defense and they have problems like with Zeke being suspended or maybe Zeke's not the same guy. He's had sort of a wild off season that we've talked about anyway. Um, I mean, if it all comes to his head, I mean, Jason Garrett's the fall guy. It won't be Dak. It'll be Jason Garrett. No, it's not going to be Dak. I mean, look, hey, if Dak gets hurt, they have no backup quarterback. I mean, Kellen Moore's not going to carry them. Mm-hmm. And so now all of a sudden, you know, we saw the Cowboys when Romo got hurt two years ago. And, you know, they were a 12-4 and team that became a 4-12 and team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was Brandon Whedon out there trying to throw the ball around. So, look, look I, I, I think this for the Cowboys, it, to me – when you watch Jason Garrett coach, you really never get the sense he's got control of the game. He's a subcontracted everything out to Marinelli does the defense, Lenahan does the offense, Basachi does the kicking game. I just don't get a sense that this guy's got command of the game, and that's really where I think a head coach needs to be. The other factor that bothers me when you watch the Cowboys is their defense got better as the season went on. Marinelli won, but when you play early in the season with no training camp, then you know you got 14 days before your first game, right? Yep. So you don't really have a lot of time to get your team in grooved and ready to go. They got seven starters now. Maybe Jalen Smith can come off the knee and find regeneration of his of his feeling and his and his leg, and he can become a great player that he was at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can get some of these other guys. But when I look at their team, it's going to have to be a team defense. It's not like oh my god. You know, Jerry talked about this offseason. If I could find a war daddy, I would go out and sign him. He couldn't find one. Yeah. You know, I thought Melvin Ingram would be the war daddy he needed. He couldn't get him. They franchised him. So I look at this team. I, I think, what's the difference? Who is going to get 1% better? When you go into the offseason and you sit there, and now the team's ready, right, Tate? Yep. You say to yourself, everybody has to get 1% better. If a collective team all gets 1% better, we'll be better. I don't see how Jason Garrett's going to get better. I think he's in the prime of his life. I don't think he's a good enough head coach. 
And they have a first place schedule, obviously, so that's going to play an impact. The end of their schedule is really tough. I mean, I think they finish the season in Philadelphia, which will be hard. They have the last three or four games they have are pretty tough. I just want to ask you this is something, you know, like a, a little bit of a made up thing, but if you have Ezekiel Elliott that has this amazing rookie year, right? And then you're already worried about him off the field and you're also worrying about a suspension, his trade value at this time, this offseason, heading into the offseason, has never been higher. If he is a dud in the second season, then, you know, obviously all that goes away pretty much but you know if you have Alfred Morris or you have D'Angelo Williams who still hasn't signed somewhere I mean what what would it be for Dallas like if they were able to flip I mean this is this may be too much of a stretch but Ezekiel has already proven to be maybe a, a big head case for these guys and it could be something that really detracts from the whole season what would his value be I mean could they do some sort of big coup where they trade Ezekiel for maybe that defensive playmaker maybe someone on the on the defensive line that could make a big difference for them or maybe just a whole bunch of assets like his value across the league is never going to be higher than it is right now. I mean, unless he comes back and does more of the same this season. Right. And as soon as they pick up the phone and they make a phone call to try to trade him, red flags are going to go over and say that the Cowboys want to get rid of this guy. Something's wrong. Yeah. That's He's true. either going to get suspended. So therefore, you know, he has really tremendous value. But once they try to, 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 to get shop. some of those assets, yeah. they lose it because everybody's just going to say, hey, look, the guy, if they're trying to trade this great player then something's wrong. Now, we don't know if he's going to get suspended. Maybe Jerry's able to talk the league out of suspending him. I don't Mm -hmm. know. But I know this. If you're Jerry and you watched your team lose at home to Green Bay, and then you watch Green Bay get annihilated at halftime by the Atlanta Falcons, you have to say to yourself, how do I beat what's going on here? And I think all eyes, and that's what I try to write in the column, and as I sit here and think about what excites me, I'm excited to see, is Jason Garrett going to be the 500 coach that I think he is? Mm -hmm. Or... Is he is he done something this summer to really improve himself? I say the latter. I think he's going to be a 500 coach. Well, a place that's used to being 500 or less are the Cleveland Browns, and they are another team that you're excited to talk about. They have uh, a lot of stuff stirring from the quarterback position. Deshaun Kaiser is sort of uh, you know kind of caught the zeitgeist a little bit. A lot of people are saying that he's the future of the Browns quarterback position. They like what they've seen. Uh, it's not exactly coming from the camp itself. You know, Hugh Jackson has not said that he plans for him to start yet. Uh, quarterback's coach there has said that he still has a lot to learn. Obviously, they still have Cody Kessler up there. Brock Eisweiler, the heist, is up there. Um, Deshaun Kaiser, I mean, do you, do you see Kaiser being a guy in Cleveland that can finally be the quarterback of the future for them? I know that we ask this every offseason. I think here's the problem. Everything looks like it's great. You know, there are mini camp going against vanilla coverages, going against certain <laughs> things, and he looks like he has a chance, right? Mm-hmm. So you're the Browns, and you know the 18 draft is loaded with a lot of perhaps talented quarterbacks. And so you've got to be really precise in evaluating Deshaun Kaiser to make sure that he is the guy. Like, just hypothetically, say he looks like Dak Prescott. That's easy. Yep. If he looks like Dak Prescott and plays like Dak Prescott – you know, then you say to yourself, okay, we don't need a quarterback. The one thing the Browns have is a really good offensive line. And in spite of what all the fans think, that a running game makes a young quarterback, that's bullshit. What makes a young quarterback mostly successful is a really good offensive line. Yep. He needs that little bit more time to process the game. And the Browns have that. So if Kaiser can process just well enough and the line is as good as I think their offensive line is, then we should see how good Kaiser is. If he's Dak Prescott... Don't draft one of those other guys. You got a guy. You were lucky enough to get him in the second round. Say he's, say he's Jared Goff. That's easy. 
draft a guy, right? Yep. And it becomes easy. It's that fine line that you're not sure of what he's going to do. And I think you need 20 games to do it. And I think that's the evaluation. The Browns now only have to evaluate all these rookies in the 18 draft class. They got to compare them to Kaiser. And when you think about that, I mean, just from a quarterback perspective, I mean, Dak was the guy who was, like you were saying, fortunate enough to have an offensive line where he could grow behind and it seemed like he got more confident as the season goes on. With Kaiser, if they do this thing where they kind of half half throw him into the fire but don't always put, don't put him in fully where they play him a couple games, then take him out, and they, they basically just don't go all the way in, in with him, how will they know that you know he's he is or isn't their guy? I mean, should they just go ahead and throw him in the fire like – we don't know if we're going to be good or not, but we might as well just try this guy. Or does that hurt his development to do that? Like what happened with Geno Smith with the Jets a couple of years ago? I mean, it's... well, but I, th- I think look, if you got a really good offensive line, the one thing that bothers a quarterback more than anything, and I think you saw this with David Carr when he played for the Houston Texans, yep. getting hit all the time makes it a problem. And I think with this offensive line, they can protect the quarterback. They got a good running game. They don't have a lot of great. I mean, the receiving core is very inexperienced. You know, they got Kenny Britt that they signed, so perhaps he can give them some big plays. But I think what the Browns have to do is make damn sure they know who Kaiser is as a player. That's my point. That's what I'm sitting here saying. Look, they can't worry about anybody else but Kaiser first because Hugh Jackson's going to want to win in year three. If he goes yep. three and thirteen with Kaiser. They got to make this decision. Is the reason they went three and t- three and thirteen Kaiser, or is the reason they went three and thirteen they're not good enough on defense? And can Kaiser be a guy that turns it around? We see this problem happen all over the NFL. I mean, RG three was supposed to be the savior in Washington, it turned out not to be. Yep. We thought that Sam Bradford was going to be the savior in, in, in St. Louis, turned out not to be. And so you got to teams make mistakes with rookie quarterbacks in the evaluation process before the draft, and they make mistakes when they have guys already in their camp. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see what goes down. And teams don't just make mistakes with quarterbacks uh, early on. They sometimes can make mistakes, you know, four or five years into their uh, existence of the league, even if they have a quote-unquote franchise quarterback. And that leads us to, of course, the Washington Redskins with Dan Snyder and Kirk Cousins, who seem to never be able to figure out a deal with each other, and then they just end up franchise tagging uh, Cousins every single time. Back-to-back years, he's been franchise tagged. He's on another expiring contract this year, one year, $23.9 million. Um, they've, <laughs> $45 million is how much they've given Kirk Cousins just because they won't give him a normal deal uh, and finally say that he is their quarterback. He's broken franchise records the past two years at the quarterback position for the Redskins. What's going on with Kirk Cousins, and why is it so hilarious to see them completely screw this up over and over and over again? Well, I think, you know, and I tweet this a lot, and I think if fans read this and listen to this podcast, Bruce Allen has always been the general manager of the of the Redskins. Yeah. Even though Scott McLuhan had the title, Bruce controls the money, and whoever controls the money in the NFL controls the player action. And so he always has felt like, Bruce has always been, and I was with Bruce at the Oakland Raiders, and he always feels like he can outsmart the agents because he once was an agent. So I think he believes that he can make this into something that he can convince priority sports and Mark Bartlestein, Rick Smith, and Mike McCarthy. He can convince those three guys that you know he'll do a deal that's favorable for Washington, but it'll look favorable for Cousins. Those guys are too smart. And so now he's been renting Cousins at a really high rate. I mean, at a really high rate. I mean, he's renting these things. I mean, this is like uh, this is like that t- TV show, New York. Uh, you know, what's on Bravo, where they where, where New York homes, where they're going around looking at places. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, Fred Reed could come in here and do a better job. I mean, he could come in and negotiate a contract with Cousins. So my point here is, 
when you see this deal, it's all on Bruce. Bruce, this is his mess. He needs to clean it up. That's what I keep tweeting. And Cousins just needs to keep saying no because Cousins has all the leverage. Now, if Cousins gets hurt and he has an injury, he's got enough insurance. I'm sure that the guys at Priority Sport are smart enough to give him some insurance to protect him. But the Redskins can't get out of this unless they're willing to pay him. They can't keep burying their head in the sand. So, Lombardi, get on, listen to me. I'm going to throw out a little theory out there. I think what's happening right now is Kirk Cousins is trying to save the NFL from Dan Snyder. And here's how it's going to happen. He's going to keep taking these franchise tags every single year until he gets enough money to buy the Washington Redskins. <laughs> it's going to be like 15 years, 15 franchise tags. He never takes a deal more than two years. And then at the end, he just buys the Redskins. We get rid of Dan Snyder, and it's a whole new day. Kirk Cousins has his own team. He finally can have the long-term and longevity that he deserves. Hopefully it'll all work out. I, I mean, maybe Kirk Cousins is the smartest quarterback in the NFL and we just don't uh, give him any credit, even though, I, I even though he dives in all-star really, games. I think he's really smart to, to take to bet on himself. And why not? Look, Bill Callahan, again, this is, this is what I think is really important for the fans to understand. Their offensive line coach, Bill Callahan, has done a wonderful job. They protect the quarterback really well. This is why Cousins has been successful. The addition of Bill Callahan in Washington has really helped their offensive line because mm-hmm. their line hasn't been great. His ability to coach is fabulous. I mean, he was a really good – he's a really good line coach. He knows what he's doing. He protects. This is why he makes their offense so effective. And I think that's what we talked about with Kaiser when the offensive line protects. I think it's the same thing with Cousins. Now, Bruce, he thinks he's going to talk people out of it. He's going to send these crazy proposals. He's going to label all the proposals as if he's there after Redskin greats. I'm sure he sent them the Charlie Taylor proposal. He sent them the Roy Jefferson proposal. I'm sure he sent them the Dyron Tauber proposal. The reality of it is is he can't con priority sports into doing a deal, and he needs to do it. And I think that a lot of people, I mean, Kirk Cousins is not playing with, you know, in a loaded receiver core, obviously. I mean, I think Jamison Crowder is probably, you know, one of the most underrated players. He has a great contract. He's on like a four-year, $2.8 million deal. He's been really good. He had a great sophomore year, you know, almost 1,000 yards receiving. I mean, Terrell Pryor is technically his number one wideout slash might be the quarterback if they can't sign Cousins. The Redskins are not in a favorable position, so the fact that they're having all this back and forth with Cousins, it just, I, I don't know from the outside looking in from anyone else in the league any other quarterback I mean what's the draw to go to Washington at this point when they see this they they haggle over money every single year it's just with with a guy that's proven he can play well I mean if you're gonna haggle you know now look maybe Josh Doxson who they drafted in the first round of 16 maybe he develops some some ability to stay healthy he couldn't last year maybe he steps in and plays well but what they've been able to do is protect. They've given Cousins time to throw the ball. So these receivers, you know, especially a guy like Crowder, who's got really good quickness, Ryan Grant, they can separate right away and mm-hmm. they throw the ball effectively. And I think they drafted really well. As much as I'm being critical of Bruce in terms of his ability to handle with Cousins, I think you have to take your hat off for how they drafted. I think that draft will help them maybe for 18. They need to do a deal with this guy. It, they're wasting cap room. And it's affecting their defense because their defense isn't good. Their defense doesn't have enough talent on it to be able to match up with a really good with a really good Dallas team, with the Philadelphia offense, and especially with the New York Giants offense. Yeah, and a guy that did sign on the defense uh, for cheap just because he has some problems. Uh, for, and the attitude is uh, Zach Brown. It's a guy that I thought the Dallas Cowboys may go after, and he uh, he maybe could do something for him the outside linebacker position. Zach's, Zach's a really good player. The question is whether Zach will be able to learn their scheme and handle it. Zach's been really inconsistent. He was really good at at Buffalo, wasn't good at Tennessee. We're going to see what Zach shows up.
I'll tell you a funny story about uh, Zach Brown. When Zach Brown was at North Carolina, they had uh, defense with Marvin Austin, Robert Quinn, you know, just all these great pass rushers. And he was a linebacker at the time. Kevin Reddick, who also was in the NFL, was a middle linebacker at the time. And uh, Everett Withers was their defensive coordinator. Everett Withers would call plays uh, specifically for Zach not to blitz. He, that was his one rule. He's like, Zach, whatever you do on this play, we have Robert, we have Marvin, do not blitz. And every single time he would blitz. And I, it, w- it was literally uncanny that he would, I mean, sometimes he would get there and it would be an amazing play, but he would just blitz and do whatever he wanted to. He never ran the scheme, always did whatever he wanted to on defense. And it's one of my favorite things now, whenever I watch Zach Brown play, he just completely you know blitzes on his own terms. Right. And, and I think that's what you just described right there is why he wasn't the first guy signing for agency. Yes. Like the Chiefs should have, the Chiefs need to be an inside linebacker. A lot of teams need a guy that have the qualities that Zach Brown possess. The reason the Redskins got him for a cheap deal is because of exactly what you just said there. Yep. Uh, which is always interesting. But um, I'm hoping the Redskins can figure out this PR battle because when you let this go out every year, I know that players won't necessarily say that it affects them, but when you see that, it, it just can't be I mean, what's the draw there? It's like, I, I don't want to go somewhere where they're trying to nickel and dime me and, and don't want to give their franchise quarterback uh, the deal he well, deserves. what's their alternative? I yeah. mean, I mean, Tate, what's their alternative? Are you going to go to Colt McCoy? Are you going to go to Nate Sufeld? Yeah. I mean, what's their alternative? I mean, who's coming down the pike? I mean, you know, where are they going to get one? And, you know, Jay Gruden, uh, he signed an extension, so maybe he's happy, but he's he's firmly behind Kirk Cousins. Remember, these this Snyder and Bruce Allen are the two guys who kept – RG three on the team, and they inactivated him and paid him over twelve million. Yep, I and mean it's ridiculous. So you can't be, you can't expect to be reasonable or analyze this thing in a reasonable fashion when guys do unreasonable. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's move on to the fourth major storyline that is going to excite you heading into the season. And that is the inevitable trade of Chiefs quarterback Alex Smith. Lombardi, you're right. pretty certain and sure that Alex Smith has seen uh, his last days in uh, in Kansas City with Andy Reid on his side, doing the little checkdowns, doing everything that makes Alex Smith happy. I mean, he's got Mahomes there behind him. He's obviously going to groom Mahomes. That usually does not work out very well. I know, you know, we've mentioned before, a lot of people are going to say that Favre and Rodgers, that, that worked out well, but it really didn't. Uh, that's not really how that relationship worked. Um, I see Alex Smith being a guy that will try to develop Mahomes, but Mahomes has the arm. Mahomes, you know, looks like he's the prospect that they want for the future. But I mean, do you think that Alex Smith can make a run this year and make them a contender, or is it really just the end? No, I think anything lame duck's never good. Look, I'm in the Great Garden State, and Chris Christie was on the beach. He's a lame duck governor, okay? His approval rating is 10%. Mm. Okay? I mean, this is a guy that had a chance to potentially seven years ago run for president of the United States. His approval rating, people were begging him to run for United States, uh, president of the United States. Now everybody's begging him to leave early. (laughs) And so being a lame duck doesn't work, right? Yes. So... And Alex Smith is a lame duck. He's got one year left on his contract. He's got an out in his contract. How does a team react to a lame duck quarterback? They don't. Yeah. Like, okay, so if you're the Chiefs and you know Alex Smith has limitations and you see Mahomes in practice, right? You say, wow. You think Andy Reid can stand in front of his team and say, guys, Mahomes isn't ready yet, but let's keep playing this guy. Here's what I know, Tate. The Chiefs will not win a Super Bowl with Alex Smith next year. Mm-hmm. What I also know is the Chiefs won't win a Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes next year. Yep. But the chances of them winning a Super Bowl in 18 are greater if Mahomes gets reps now than they are if they wait and have him develop behind. I think this whole development thing is really a, a political promise for the incumbent 
but it's a lame duck status. It's got to go. And that's why I think they should trade Alex Smith. I think Alex Smith has got to be the guy they move on from. And when we look at Alex Smith's trade value, I mean, there are teams that need quarterbacks. And, and a lot of teams, you know, even if you look at the Houston Texans, there are teams that just need, they're one position away. They're one quarterback away from being a, a supreme contender. I mean, I, even the Minnesota Vikings is a team as much as they have Bradford and Bridgewater and that whole thing going on. I mean, is there a team that you see, hey, maybe Alex Smith could go there. Maybe it's, it's even the New York Jets where there's not as much pressure. Right. Where well, you go somewhere like, like that, like, is there well, a trade? Like, is there va- is there well, assets they can get back for Smith that may be, you know, well, helpful both sides? Like, just type Hypothetically, say it's Houston, right? Yep. You say, well, he would be a lame duck in Houston. Being a lame duck in Houston is way different than being a lame duck in Kansas. Everybody in Kansas City knows Smith's not going to be their quarterback. If he gets traded to Houston, everybody in Houston thinks they're evaluating him. It's yes. just different. It just shifts the dynamics a little bit. So now, all of a sudden, instead of being a lame duck, he's playing for a contract. In Kansas City, he's lame duck. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. So the same thing at the Jets. If he were to get traded to the Jets, and I think you could get value for him. I think the Chiefs, look, they gave up a first-round pick to get Mahomes. I'm not saying they're going to get a first-round pick back for Alex Smith. No chance. They gave up two twos to get Alex Smith. If they'd be lucky to get a, a conditional fourth pick that moved around a little bit, I think they would be lucky to do that if he got his contract extended. But teams need quarterbacks. And teams need quarterbacks. What Andy Reid's been able to do with them is protect the ball. Alex Smith, for all his inefficiencies, does protect the ball. He doesn't turn the ball over. So if you put him in Houston and you let him do his thing, he protects the ball while Watson and Savage develop, you might have something. I just think that time, if I'm a Chiefs fan, I know I'm not going to win with Alex Smith as a lame duck. I might as well get on to 18 right now. And you mentioned Houston. Obviously, uh, this is a little bonus excitement. You you also said that you're really excited to see J.J. Watt return to that Houston defense where we saw Clowney yeah. really come into its own uh, last year. And you're going to have both those guys on the line. They may be really, really scary. Something that people envisioned when Clowney you know, originally got drafted to them. When you look at J.J. Watt and his return, he actually just launched a menswear line, so he has a lot of things going on in his life. Um, do you see Watt having one of those years where he gets back to full form and uh, really just takes a league by storm? Or is this one of those things where he's not not quite the same guy, and he's still trying to figure it out next year. I don't think he even needs to be quite the same guy. They're good enough on defense where if he's just good, you know, with Clowney playing as good as he's playing, and they get Whitney Marcellus, when he plays well, when they put Marcellus in over the center mm-hmm. in their odd look and their de- in their nickel defense, love that. Yeah. he's really hard. He's hard for teams to block. So, you know, those are three high draft picks that they put in the game. If they get those guys going with their secondary and the way that Romeo Crennel coaches and Mike Rabel coaches the defense, it's tough to get. It's tough to convert third downs against the Houston Texans. And so I think Watt doesn't even have to be the J.J. Watt who's moving 4,000-pound tires around. I think if he's just a good nickel rusher, and they utilize him that way, he can be more impactful. I'm, my main question on that whole Watt situation is, does he accept that he doesn't have to be the superstar? Because we saw a lot, I mean, even when you watch the Hard Knock series with him talking about himself, I mean, he would basically, he was the defense. You know, he would move and decide he wanted to go to the other side of the line. He would get he would line up in the middle. He'd move all around like as if he was running the scheme in and of itself. But if you have a set defense that's used to playing without him and they're all doing what works for them on defense and doing their job, can you have a guy like Watt who's, who views himself as an all-star? Will he buy in is basically what I'm asking is that something to watch? Well, I think they, the one thing about this Cornell system, which is the Belichick system, is you get to buy in because we're gonna, they're going to tell him, look, we're going to put you on the worst lineman. Yeah. And then we're going to make them have to slide the protection to you. Or we're going to move you around. And I think they're smart enough to do it. That's what makes Houston. Houston has a lot of pieces 
with the diversity of their players that they can move guys around and create the right matchups. So when they go and play Jacksonville or they go and play Tennessee, they can put them on what they view as the weakest lineman mm-hmm. and Watt can have a good day. Or they'll force the protection to go a certain way and then Clowney will have a better day. So if all you have to do is sell on that we're going to devise this defense to fit you, I think players buy it. I like it. I'm hoping that Watt and Clowney are as scary as I uh, presume that they will be. Um, all right, Lombardi, that was good. We got the exciting stuff out of the way. Let's get to just some of the word on the streets uh, around the NFL and the, a little bit of the big-time stories that are happening. Uh, first thing that I have here is the NFL supplemental draft happens. No one gets drafted. Obviously, we saw a lot of guys like Bernie Kosar go in the supplemental draft. Is the supplemental draft dying? It feels like it's dying. No one seems to care anymore. Yeah, well, you know, they changed the rules, so they have a lottery now. Nobody knows where their pick is until the day of the draft. So players, you know, it used to be you could come out, and when Kozar came out, they knew where his pick was, and the Browns ended up trading with Buffalo and worked it out. So it takes away some of the esteem. And look, if a kid decides to stay in college and he passes the draft, you know, the supplemental, they want guys to go to the main draft. They don't want them to go into the supplemental. It's hard. It's hard to uh, – the battle kid from Clemson got drafted in the fifth round a couple mm-hmm. of years in the supplemental. But for the most part, guys that Josh are out Gordon. in the supplemental. Suppl- yeah, supplement. I mean, well, Gordon went in the second round. He had a huge amount of problems. And I said at the time it was a blown pick, and it ended up being – it was because he can't stay on the field. There's always a problem with a guy. He can't stay in school, whether it's academically or socially. And I think those are really what makes it very difficult for guys – to have great, you know, careers coming in the supplemental draft. I just always like the story of the supplemental draft. It's, it sounded just like you overcame so much. Uh, so I'm sad it's, it's it, yeah. If you did, that's great. But typically there's a reason why you're in that draft. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, another one, Clay Matthews comes out and he says, uh, this was on the Rich Eisen show this morning that I was watching. He said that he'll miss sacking Jay Cutler the most. Um, how hilarious <laughs> is that to hear? And uh, will Jay Cutler enjoy reading that? Because I think he will. I think Jay Cutler's all in on Fox. I mean, look, he's excited. I'm sure he's probably going to take that quote and run with it. It's going to be fascinating to see the personality in Jay Cutler. I think I think by week five, when Jerry and Steven are having that conversation, when they're two and three, yeah. America might be saying, why is Jay Cutler, you know, why he's got such a personality? Why didn't we see that when he played with the Bears? I think Cutler's probably going to have a better TV career in terms of personality than he did in his body language on uh, when he played for the Bears. My pitch to Fox right now is Tony Romo versus Jay Cutler live on the air to be the quarterback of the Rams. They just have a throw off. They figure out who's going to be the best quarterback, and they're going to go and take Jared Goff's job because there's no way Jared Goff can last the whole season. He's going to get crushed. So, uh, I, I, well, I can, ever since I wrote the Ram column, I keep having people tell me that Goff's had a great off season. So we're going to wait and see. I'm waiting for Blake Bortles' off season, and I'm waiting for Goff's, Goff's season. It, I can't. I can't wait. In the words of a wise man named Mike Lombardi, everybody has a great off season. Everybody, I have it. It's like I told you before, Tate. It's like when you call a player, he's always just coming back from a workout. Of course, it's, of- it never fails. <laughs> Of course. Uh, and final word on the street. I thought this was pretty funny. Uh, came out today. Viagra and Cialis are doubling down on golf, and they're going to pull out of NFL coverage next year. No ads for Viagra and Cialis. Is this good or bad for the NFL? I think it's bad. I mean, I always <laughs> enjoy looking at those. I mean, the women in those are always attractive women. Why wouldn't when, when you like that, right? I couldn't believe it. $50 million, Viagra and Cialis, says uh, they don't need what the NFL. What are they NFL going anymore. into? Where are they going to? They're doubling down on golf. They're going to be in every golf digest. I don't even think there's going to be golf stories in golf digest. It's going to be a big Cialis newspaper. Why? why what's the motivation of that? I guess maybe maybe, maybe the, maybe the demographics ratings. of, or 
of golf. I mean, it has to be the demographics. Look, I'm no, I'm not Don Draper here. I'm no advertiser, but I mean, at some point, it's probably the demographics. Maybe too many young people are watching. They don't, they don't buy Cialis. Yeah, you're right. You're right, Lombardi. It's always, you know, I always like my wife brought it up. She's like, look, they're, they're always, everybody's dressed in blue when they're promoting Viagra. Yep. It's, good point. It's very standard. It's a very standard thing. I'm going to miss it on uh, all the NFL coverage next season. Lombardi, I've enjoyed this. We uh, we got to talk about all the things you're excited for. Is there anything else you're excited for? Are you excited that J.J. Reck decide, said uh, a couple of minutes ago that he wants to play more than one year in Philadelphia? Are you excited about that? Uh, uh, well, only if I watch him play. I'm excited. <laughs> you know, I'm excited that that uh, Fultz's injury is only going to be one to two weeks in 76er language, which means he's probably questionable for the beginning of camp. Yeah. He'll he'll show up in November or December. He'll he'll be yeah, back he'll for the Christmas the Day game if they get that. He'll miss the season. You wait and see. He'll miss the season. <laughs> well, that's the life of a 76ers fan, Lombardi. I'm sorry to hear that. But the good news is that we got football to come. We're getting closer and closer by the day. And uh we'll be back. GM Street. We're gonna keep this thing rolling. And Lombardi, thanks. Thanks, Tate.